all of us have had the experience at one time or another of inviting someone to come to worship with us. We might have asked them to attend a gospel meeting or maybe they were in, we invited them to join us for Friends and Family Day. Or maybe we invited them to come for an area-wide singing or No Excuse Sunday or some other event that we were having here at the congregation. And what we've discovered as we invite people to come is that oftentimes they're not particularly interested in coming and joining in those activities. Now sometimes they might come to be polite and sometimes they might come to be considerate or they might come because, well, they don't want to hurt our feelings so they'll come and show up. But they've indicated in one way or another that they really didn't enjoy the experience of coming and worshiping with us or fellowshipping with us. In fact, I have over the years noticed several times when we would have events here or in other places where I preach that you would have people in the audience that actually would have made a wonderful hostage video because of the expression on their face by having to come to worship uh, that particular Sunday. Why is that? Well, I think the answer to the question, to a great extent, lies in the kind of life that people live in our day and time. Those who are not God's children, those who are living a different kind of life, quite often find themselves rather uncomfortable in the presence of God. That man or that woman who knows something of Christianity and something of what Christianity requires, who's not in agreement with it, inevitably will find the singing of hymns and the praying of prayers a, an unpleasant and embarrassing experience. Back in the early morning of time, Adam and Eve were in the beautiful Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve were getting along famously with God. There in that paradise of Eden that God had created for them, everything was wonderful. And everything was good. And everything was happy. But then it happened. They broke one of God's commandments. And when that happened, they immediately tried to hide from God. And the moment that they went away from God's way, they felt the desire to run away from God. Adam hid from God. And God said, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, well, God, I was naked and I hid. And God said, well, Adam, how would you know you were naked? Adam... Have you eaten the fruit of the tree that I told you not to eat from? You see, they broke God's commandments. And immediately they wanted to hide from God. You see, they were embarrassed. And they were ashamed. And they no longer wanted to be in the presence of God. The story of Jonah is another classic example of the same thing. 
If you read your Bible from all indications, Jonah was a really good man. And no doubt Jonah preached the truths of God's Word widely. But there came a day. God called Jonah and God told Jonah, He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach there. Jonah decided, that's not what I want to do. And since Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach, Jonah got a, on a boat and headed in the opposite direction because he did not want to obey God. When Jonah made that decision to disobey God, when he made that decision that he did not want to go to Nineveh to preach, Jonah immediately felt the need from, to run from God. And that's the reason that Jonah got on the boat bound for Tarshish in the totally opposite direction of Nineveh. Here's a news flash for you. There are a great many men and women in our world today who are not living God's kind of life. And since they are not living God's kind of life, it's a very natural thing that they would find themselves uncomfortable in the presence of God. To a Christian, reading the Bible and praying, those are wonderful experiences. To the worldly, they're not wonderful. They're unwelcome occurrences. To that person whose motives are Christ's motives, they're unpleasant. To the person whose motives are not the motives of Christ, they're unpleasant. When an individual does not want what God wants, they're unhappy, even miserable. I remember the older folk talking about the election of 1980 when Ronald Reagan was running against Jimmy Carter. Reagan made a lot of use of the misery index. He talked about the misery index to describe the frustration of the American people. And of course the misery index is economic in nature. It's a function of unemployment, and inflation. And the misery index at that time was quite high. And we see this concept and this terminology of the misery index resurrected quite often during election years. I'm quite certain that during 2024 we will hear the misery index referred to. Folks, we've got a lot of people in our world today who have a really high misery index. And their misery index is not related to economics. Their misery index is because of the fact they are resisting the upward pull of God on their lives. They're fighting against God. And because folks are fighting against the oh God, their misery index is going to be high and they're going to continue to be misery. You see, all the misery in our world is either directly 
or indirectly a result of man's resistance to God. Remember I mentioned a moment ago Adam and Eve. Misery first made its entrance into our world with the sin of Adam and Eve. Life was forever changed after they were cast from the garden of life. They had to earn their living by the sweat of their brow. There wasn't the same peace and the same enjoyment of life that had existed before sin came. The deluge of sin in this world we live in came through Adam and Eve. The waywardness of the people of Noah's time. You remember the Bible says... God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the world. The waywardness of mankind in Noah's time was the culmination of the sin in that very first long period of man's living on this earth. And the misery that those people suffered when the flood snuffed out their lives was a result of the fact that they resisted God. When we cooperate with God. When we let God have His way with us. It is then and it is only then. That we can find that deep peace of the soul. That all of us are yearning for. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. And don't think that. I'm saying that all sinners are miserable now. Because if you look around us in this world, there's a lot of folks that are just blissfully happy in their sins. Because they've become calloused. As the Hebrew writer suggests, their hearts have become hardened. And they are almost, if not completely, insensitive to spiritual values I've known some of these people I've known them personally I've called them friends I've shed bitter tears over them and I'm certain there are many of them in our world in fact if you look at polls over the past 25 years the number of people in America who are blissfully happy in their sins is on the increase. They're not miserable. And they're not miserable because their conscience is seared. And their heart is hardened. And they literally give no thought whatsoever to spiritual things. But when Jesus Christ came into this world, when the babe was born in Bethlehem's manger, he purposely disturbed people. Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? Because we generally think of Christ as bringing peace. And we generally think of Christ as bringing contentment. But in one sense, Jesus came to disturb people. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. 
Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. That's some pretty strong language to come from the man who's known as the Prince of Peace. But here's what that passage means for us today in the 21st century. Mankind is here on earth and men and women have become smug and complacent. Men and women are in sin, but yet the vast majority of people on the footstool of God have made peace with sin. They've come to feel that sin is alright and they are comfortable in their sins. Jesus came to pull men and women free from the degradation of sin that's fastened about their soul. And pulling men and women away from the sin fastened against their soul, that is not day surgery. You don't do it with a local anesthetic. It's not an operation that's performed painlessly. Jesus did not come to send peace. Jesus did not come to leave men and women satisfied in a lost condition. Jesus came to set the captives free and lift them to a higher, greater, more noble plane of living. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Following Jesus Christ is never easy. And nobody ever said it would be. Following Jesus Christ is not slowly, comfortably, and easily drifting downstream. It's not walking downhill. Following Jesus is climbing to the heights of the mountains. It's climbing from the muck and the mire of sin to the heights of righteousness. And that, folks, is not done without a struggle. It involves work. It involves effort, and it nearly always begins when a man or a woman feels pain. When they become disturbed about themselves. When we realize something is wrong and we desire something better than what it is that we have right now. An individual cannot really become a Christian after they are old enough to be called an adult. Without feeling a struggle. As they turn loose of sin and start to climb toward heaven. Pain precedes a new start. God has put pain endings in our fingers. And all over our body.
you have any doubt about the pain ending in your fingers, just grab a hot skillet sometime by the handle, a hot iron skillet by the handle, and you'll find out about pain endings. I did that the other day. I had a skillet on the stove, and I forgot that it had not been there long enough to get good and cool. And I grabbed that iron skillet by the handle, and I didn't hold it long. I threw it. I literally threw it down so hard that it broke the handle off on the kitchen floor. It was like that old boy that went to the blacksmith shop that time, and blacksmith had a horseshoe on the forge. Old boy picked up that hot horseshoe, and he threw it down. The blacksmith started laughing. said, was that hot, son? No, sir, it just don't take me long to look at a horseshoe. Well, it didn't take me long to look at that iron skillet that day, Leon. The pain ending in my fingers let me know that it was there. God has put pain endings all over our body. So when we hurt, we know it. And when we know it, we'll do something about it. I also believe God has put pain endings in our soul, so to speak. We sometimes call it our conscience. It's so that when we are out of step with God, we'll feel it and we'll feel the pain of being out of step with God. And feeling out of step with God and feeling the pain of being out of step with God, we won't be happy and we won't be comfortable. And it's then we want to do something about it and get in step with God. There's a parallel thought that goes with this. A parallel thought that goes with disturbing people. And it's the idea that sometimes we can be too agreeable. Sometimes we can be too easy to get along with. Sometimes it's easy for folks to fit into their own world and be satisfied with the things around them. Beloved, sometimes folks need to be disturbed. And being disturbed, they need to get out of the rut of sin. And we have to climb to the heights of God so we can be saved. People can sometimes conform too fully to the circumstances around them. We teach our children that they need to be agreeable, don't we? How many times do we remember telling our children, now you need to play well with others. We want our children to fit in. We want our children to play well with other children. We want them to be the kind of people that can adjust and adapt to a situation. And that's a good thing. We need to be adaptable. We need to be polite. We need to be agreeable. But sometimes it poses a great problem. In life, there are sometimes places where we ought not to adjust. Places where we ought to simply just stand aloof. Under normal circumstances, we must go along. We must be agreeable. We must be polite and and even as adults, we have to learn to play well with others. And this applies to things that have to do with our own personal preferences. Things perhaps that 
have to do merely with this world. But there are other things. There are matters of right versus wrong. Matters of good versus evil. Matters of sin versus righteousness. Where we dare not fit in and we dare not play well with others. Jesus Christ did not always fit in. In things of a personal nature, He was the most agreeable of men. And that's the way we should be. I never will forget, it was ingrained in me at an early age. Dad always worked a secular job and preached. And for 11 years of my life, we went to the same congregation over in Appleby. Daddy preached there for 11 years. He started preaching there when I was five years old. And every Sunday, we would go home with somebody. They had a list on the bulletin board at the back, and different church members would sign up. And we would go home and have lunch with them, and we would spend the afternoon at their house. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience has been most five-year-olds are kind of picky sometimes about what they eat. Well, on Sundays we'd be going and my mother would sit me down and she would say, Now, young man, yes, ma'am, we're going home with brother and sister Smith today for lunch. Yes, ma'am. And I don't care what they put in front of you. You're going to like it and you're going to eat it and you're not going to turn your nose up at it. If you do, I will wear you out. If they eat it every day and it hasn't killed them, one meal's not going to hurt you. Do you understand me? Yes, ma'am. And so consequently, no matter who we went home with for lunch, I was the most agreeable little boy that you ever saw in your life, which is why I look like this today. Because the only thing... I refuse to eat is Brussels sprouts. And you're well aware of that. But I didn't refuse to eat them till I was grown. If I'd have been five years old and Sister Smith had served Brussels sprouts, I'd have eaten Brussels sprouts. Now along the way, there were a lot of really good and really rich experiences. I remember, I'll, I'll share this with you. It has no bearing on the sermon. It's just something I thought of. We were having lunch with this family one day. And it was an older couple. Uh, they were probably 70 years old if they were a day. And they had roast beef. And I love roast beef. Always have. And I said, Mommy, can I have some more roast beef? And so she got me some more roast beef. And I said, can I have some more roast beef? She got me some more roast beef. And she's leaning over. She's cutting it up. And she whispers, now, don't ask for the roast beef again. This is all you can have. So I said, well, Mommy, if that's all the roast beef I can have, would you cut it in little bites so it'll go further? And, of course, this kindly elderly lady says, Now, Miss Perkins, you let that baby boy have all the roast beef he wants. Mission accomplished. But we have to be agreeable. In things of a personal nature, we have to be the most agreeable of men and women and Jesus was that way. 
But there were some things where Jesus wasn't agreeable at all. Take, for example, the day He walked into the temple and He saw the money changers in there selling animals for sacrifice, robbing people. Jesus was anything but agreeable that day. Everybody's passing by. Everybody's going on. Nobody's taking notice. And Jesus comes in and righteous indignation flooded His soul. He turned over the tables of the money changers. He drove the frightened cattle out of the temple. Jesus didn't fit in that day, did He? Jesus didn't play well with others that day. We're to be the most agreeable of folks when it's right to be agreeable. But, Christians are people who do not fit in whenever fitting in means compromise on the truths of God or the teachings of God. Jesus uses two very powerful illustrations in Matthew chapter 9. In verses 16 and 17. He talks about putting new patches on old garments. And he talks about putting new wine in old bottles. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 9 is, the teachings He came to give would not fit into the old forms of paganism and Judaism. Jesus swept those away and gave them a whole new system. We are to be a peculiar people. And I'm not saying we're supposed to be different just to be different and hard to get along with. We're supposed to be agreeable and complacent in everything we can. We are supposed to strive to play well with others. But where truth is involved, where principles are involved, where righteousness is involved, beloved, we must be different. I can't begin this morning to mention all the many areas of our life this would apply to. If I did, we'd be here way too long and you'd want to have me tarred and feathered and run out of town on the rail. But it applies to the whole realm of ethics and moral values. It applies to the way we dress and the way we conduct ourselves in society. It applies to the kind of amusements we engage in and promote. And it applies to our worship of God. And following the New Testament pattern in living God's kind of life and in how we worship. Wherever principles of God's Word are involved, we must be different. Are you listening? We must be cleaner of life, purer of speech, higher of motives, and more dedicated to the things that are eternal. God wants us to be disturbed about the current world we live in so we don't be like the world we live in. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul said, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is He the Master of your life? Do you need to make changes? 
It's his invitation as we stand. Amen.